girl quite like Bishop Ken. I go a lot of places. His on video is even more energetic than a lot of people that uh, are live in the house, so I'm grateful. Uh, my name is Caleb and uh, Caleb Ives, and I'm the director of a ministry called Emmaus, but let me just say, I just, my heart is stirred by worship. Um, my heart was moved when I walked in here this morning, and I always love when I walk into a church in the morning and there's already people praying, and... Uh, My heart is just um, stirred with the affections of Jesus for, for me to give me such a privilege of being here with you, um, for you, in his pursuit of your heart, that even if you're here and you think you're here because you're seeking him, you actually are primarily here because he's seeking you. He, he wants you. He wants the fullness of your life and your heart to be his. He wants your mess. He wants your strengths and your skills and your abilities and your weaknesses and your failures and your brokenness. He wants it. And he's pursuing the fullness of who you are to bring you into the fullness of who he is. Um, and I'm just grateful to be here and I'm humbled to be here. And uh, I'm picking up a series that I'm actually, I think I'm wrapping up the series. Is that right? All right. I'm batting clean up in this. This is amazing. There's a lot of pressure. Because I was like, let me listen back to the series to kind of get my heart ready. And I was like, well, this is a long series. So let me just listen to that first message and get my heart here in, in, in tune with what's been going on. Um, but before I do that, as, as Bishop mentioned, my name is Caleb and I, I lead this ministry called Emmaus. It's based right here in Oviedo, actually. And um, we've been here for the last, well, since 2015. So I guess seven years doing a variety of different ministries um, but over the last three or four years, been really working to try to create ways that every follower of Christ can be equipped to be engaged in the scriptures. And uh, I specifically want to just invite you today to the upcoming course. And if you've, when I've been here before, I always invite you into our most introductory kind of level program that we got because there's no homework. It's the lowest commitment level, seven weeks long on Monday nights from 6.30 to 8.30. And so you'll see here, um, there's a QR code that can lead you to that. But just to give you a glimpse into that, this course is seven weeks, starts August 29th. In two hours, you'll get a workbook, you get, um, you'll get access to the slides from all the lectures, and at the end of that, you'll also have access to a video version of this course um, that you can use for future archives, and, and you can sign up for that. So you can find out more information via the QR code, but let me just say this. Look, this course is about the Old Testament. That's what the seven weeks is about, the Old Testament. And uh, when Jesus walked around the earth, and when he taught things like what he teaches in Matthew, and even what we're going to say today, read today... Um, he assumed that everyone who followed him would be a student of the Old Testament. He did. He assumed that everyone who would follow him would be a student of the Old Testament scriptures. Every one of the New Testament writers, Paul, Peter, James, John, when they're writing the New Testament, they are writing to people assuming with an expectation that those people who desire to follow Christ would also be those who were students of the Old Testament. But somewhere along the way, the Old Testament has become a little bit like a foreign document to many people in the church including to me. I was a pastor for seven years, and most of the Old Testament books, I would open up and just say, I don't know what to do with this. I would know it's supposed to be important, but I don't know what to do with it. It's confusing. It's boring. Don't, don't tell the Lord I said that. I whispered. All right, like, I don't know. What do I do with this book? Like, how is it relevant to me? Like, what is the right way to read this? And, and the whole goal of the seven weeks is to try to give uh, some, some knowledge and skills to just help every book come to life, to give some history, some context, and some tools to become disciples of all of the scriptures. 
the Old Testament is most of our Bible. I know we forget that sometimes, but like it is the vast majority of the story of God and his people that's revealed in the scriptures is in the Old Testament. The New Testament covers about 100 years. The Old Testament is thousands of years of the story of God and his people. And yet oftentimes it's the, if you look at your Bibles, you know, like don't look at them right now. I'm not calling anybody out. But you know when you buy a new Bible and it's like really clean and the pages you turn a lot, like start to turn color, they get a little roughed up and dirty. A lot of people including me for many years, this was the part of my Bible that got a lot of page turned. And this was like crisp. If I open up to like Ezekiel or Leviticus, it's like, you know, like I haven't been in here in a minute, right? Um, uh, but, but here's the desire. The desire is that, that, that you would become people who, who start to engage the Old Testament because to follow Jesus is to follow the God of the, of the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. He is the fulfillment, he is the pinnacle, he is the hero, and he is the God of the redemptive story um, of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. So I want to encourage you, take seven weeks, make a commitment, do this. Um, if you've already attended it before, this is a special invite to you. I, got, I left some business cards out there as well. If you've attended Narrative before and you want to recruit a friend to come, you can come for free if you bring a friend. So you can just shoot me an email and let me know, hey, I got so-and-so is coming with me. But uh, And I'll be like, all right, you got a free pass. Come on in. Because um, we just love to see a community of people from m- multiple churches in the area gather around the same book that we've got together. The same book. Um, so that's my plug for that. I want to invite you because I really do believe my de- desire is to bless you. And uh, my desire is to see the body of Christ really experience the life of Scripture. And I really, you know, I, I was, a pa- I'm a pastor's kid. I, I was, I am a pastor's son. Um, and I was a pastor for many years that the scriptures were not a active part of my life with God. But they are like the rudder on the ship. If the spirit is the wind and the sail, then the scriptures are the rudder on the ship to help me stay in this track of understanding rightly who God is and what he's called me to. Um, so I want us to be people of the scripture. So that's it for that. Let me pray, and we're going to jump into today's message. Now, uh, just so you know, you'll see you got these um, little cards as well. That's got the narrative series, some information, the website's at the bottom. On the back side of that is the foundations course. That starts up after narrative. Um, we're going to study the Torah for eight weeks, Genesis through Deuteronomy. It's more of a deep dive into those books, um, a little heavier a uh, little, bit, little bit of homework. You're going to read a lot of those books over that eight weeks and just um, a smaller group of people and more interactive type of classroom. So we'd love to have you check that out as well if you're interested in that. So let me pray for us and uh, we're just going to keep on going. God, um, we go from glory to glory to glory. And you take us higher and higher and higher. And God, as we look back at our lives, for those of us who have received the gift of salvation, and therefore we have experienced what's called regeneration, that your spirit has come and made uh, we who were dead now living beings. And you have made us new creations that that from, from moment to moment, we don't even stay the same. That every moment we receive the activity of your spirit, the work of your grace in our lives, we continue to change to become more like you being transformed into the same likeness, into your image from glory to glory to glory. And so, Lord, I pray that I would not get in your way this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak from your word, you would speak, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. You would change us. You'd convict us 
and challenge us and encourage us and build us up that we might be more like you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you're in a series, Kingdom Critical, and uh, you've been in this for a little while. And in the very first, first message of this series, I'm sure you all memorized it, but just in case you forgot, Bishop said to you this, that one of the most important messages that is missing from the church today is that of the kingdom. And that's the truth. You know, when, when I read through the scriptures, specifically reading through the New Testament, there was uh, moments where I was shocked by how much the Bible talked about things that I never talked about. And the kingdom of God is, is probably the pinnacle of that, along with the eternal perspective that's directly tied to that, are two of the things that like I, I never talked about, I never thought about, I never really heard many sermons about, and yet the scriptures were saturated with these themes. And this idea of the kingdom of God is central. The gospel is not just the gospel of your personal salvation. The gospel is the gospel of the kingdom of God. The gospel of the kingdom of God. And so as you've been walking through this, you've been thinking about the, the way, the, the understanding of the kingdom of God is critical to us, understanding our purpose, what life is about, our relationship with God, everything is to be understood in the paradigm of being, we have been welcomed into a kingdom. We are not just saved and into a personal relationship with Jesus. We have been ushered into a kingdom that you do not deserve to be in. And I do not deserve to be in. But it's God's original intent for humanity to find their flourishing life under the reign of God. And you were not under that reign. You were a rebel against it, and so was I. And we were under, well, we'll talk about in a second, but the kingdom, the reign of darkness and evil. When we were saved, oftentimes the message we hear is, you, Jesus died so you could be forgiven of your sins. Amen. Thank the Lord for that act of grace. I was saved so I could be forgiven of my sins because sin cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And yet through his grace, I've been ushered into a kingdom where I now live under the reign, the grace, the provision, and the law of a God who is my king. And that God who is my king was awaited throughout the pages of scripture and then appeared in the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So the kingdom of God. You know, if we don't understand, I was thinking about this, if we don't understand the paradigm of the kingdom, then oftentimes what we will do is we will come to Jesus and we will accept him as a servant of my kingdom. If I don't know I'm actually stepping into his kingdom, then I will welcome him in. I will accept him and believe in him as a servant of my kingdom, a servant who remedies my problems, right, and helps me accomplish my goals. And we will press Jesus down to the low place in our relationship with him. Now, maybe subconsciously, but if we don't think about, I've been brought into his kingdom, his kingdom, then I will think he has come into my kingdom. And now he is the means by which I will get what I want out of this life. He'll get me my promotion. He'll get me success. He'll kick my enemies uh, down. I don't know, right? He'll win, he'll win my battles for me. He will be a great and powerful servant of Caleb's kingdom. But that's not the gospel, right? That's called idolatry. So there's different kinds of idolatry, and I may have said this before, but there's, there's, there's one form of idolatry is to say something that is not God is 
God. And another form of idolatry is they say the one that is God is not God, but is my servant. And now he did come to serve, but I came into his kingdom. In Colossians 1, and I want to read this passage to you. Uh, Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it says this. Paul is describing for the Christians in Colossae, the city that it was mostly uh, kind of like us. Not They, they didn't have a, a Jewish heritage. They, didn't have the old, they hadn't grown up kind of taught in the Torah. And so they, they were kind of catching up with the storyline a little bit. They heard about this Jesus. And when Paul wants them to understand what is it that has happened for you, he says this. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. And that word power there is the word dominion. If you think of dominion, that means kingdom, right? For he has, he has delivered us from the dominion, the kingdom of darkness, and conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul says, yes, you have You've been redeemed from slavery. You've been forgiven of your sins. But that is through your king. You were under this dominion, and now you've come into this kingdom. And that is the gospel for you. We have been brought into his kingdom. And in his kingdom, we are the servants of the king. He is the Lord. And if he is the Lord, he is not accountable to us. We are accountable to him. Now, that doesn't mean sometimes in our honest prayer life, we don't say, God, what are you doing? Where are you at? Because the scriptures give me space within the Psalms to cry out to God and say, uh, hello? What's going on? doesn't feel like you're holding up your end of the deal. But the reality is that he is not accountable to me. I am accountable to him. And the, the message today is that. It's kingdom accountability. And you can, if you've got your Bibles, flip over to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to be in verses 14 through 30, um, the parable of the talents. We're going to spend the, the bulk of the time right there now. And then uh, we'll wrap up with a couple thoughts at the end. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Kingdom accountability. And I'm going to read the entire passage here. And then... Uh, We'll walk back through it, kind of parse it out a little bit as we go. Beginning in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. Now just quick context here. What Jesus is going to do, he's teaching with a parable. That's one of the forms of teachings Jesus does. So a parable is really meant to communicate uh, big picture points. It's not necessarily supposed to be like we pick every word apart to figure out what symbol this is. But it's meant to communicate a big picture understanding. And so what Jesus is doing here. He's talking to people who are wondering about the kingdom. All right, so he is talking to people, the Jews, who've been awaiting a Messiah to come and to make all things right. He's, been, he's talking to people who think about the kingdom. All right, and now he is explaining it to them through this parable. So here we go, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received the two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. <clears throat> 
So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had received, who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there, you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whew. All right, so here's really the question of this parable that Jesus is presenting to them. And this isn't primarily about like the right now rewards of this life. It's primarily about at his coming, when the kingdom, when the king returns... What are we supposed to think about that? And so Jesus is talking about that, and he really presents this question. When he returns, will you be found good and faithful or wicked and lazy? When he comes back, will you be found good and faithful or wicked and lazy? That's the question that's presented. Kind of a hard question, right? I mean, this is a difficult passage. It's, it's, it's hard to even process it because it's... It, it's there's a harshness to it. We got weeping and gnashing of teeth at the end. We got someone called wicked and unprofitable. So how will you be found when the master returns? And, and when we say good and faithful, I, I don't know about you. I, like Growing up, I remember hearing that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. I remember hearing that a lot of times. I heard that often. I heard it um, primarily, um, I heard that at funerals. I heard it oftentimes at funerals growing up. My dad's a pastor, and so a lot of times at faith, I, I would hear people say, like, well, so-and-so, you know, uh, Sister Sally or whatever, like, you know, she has now heard, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I'm not saying that's a misuse of that passage. Um, but what I am saying is when it says good and faithful here, it's not just talking about, like, you know, fairly nice. But the metric here uh, of faith is not just, like, yeah, yeah, I, I wrote down the things I believed, and I believe all the right things. What we see is that faith in this passage is proven by investment. Faith is proven by investment. Not by what I say, not by what I write down, not by if I show up here on Sunday, but faith is proven by investment. And the measurement of these three servants is not whether or not they think the master will return. In fact, all three of them, do they expect the master to return? Yes, they do. But one is unfaithful. 
And it's not because he didn't think the master would return. It's because he didn't invest what he'd been given. And so we have to wrestle with, well, why did he not? What is the difference between these types of servants? So let's, let's uh, parse back through this passage. And what I like to do, uh, I teach in our Bible school. We got, by the way, we have a school that meets in the mornings um, uh, during the week for 10 months. And I, I teach in that for three hours. I promise this won't be three hours. Um, and then we have these night courses. I love to just kind of walk through and try to explain the, the text a little bit. So we're going to do that and then just land on a couple points before we wrap up. So this first bit in 14 through 17, uh, the, the parable starts with just describing this setting of this parable. And, and so Jesus, again, presenting them two options, good and faithful or wicked and lazy. How will you be found when the master returns is the parable's point. And, and, and here the context is the man leaves to a far country, and this man is, is a wealthy man, clearly in the parable. It's a, a wealthy person who leaves and now leaves with three of his servants some talents. Now, if you've heard this passage before, this idea, there's actually another parable in Luke that's very similar that uses the language of coins. But Matthew's, Matthew's version here it speaks of a lot more than coins. See, a talent wasn't a certain, it wasn't like a $10 bill or like a quarter. A talent was a unit of measurement. And there's different estimates of it, but somewhere around 75 pounds. Now, likely, this is uh, speaking of silver, which would be a common kind of treasury that, that a wealthy person would have. So, so when we say that someone is given a talent, what we're not saying is he handed them a gold coin and said, I'll be back at some point. See ya. He actually entrusts them with 75 pounds of silver, a talent. And a talent, for an average day laborer in those days, a talent was 20 years of wages. So for these servants who receive this, they have received from the master something they would never have earned from themselves that clearly belongs to him, is only his, and is more than they ever would have imagined or ever had to use to put to work ever before. But now they've been entrusted with something that is riches beyond their greatest imagination. They were never going to have 20 years of wages saved up because they got to pay for their daily bills. But now they've been entrusted with a treasure that, that is their master's because he's wealthier than them. Now what are they going to do with this? So the one with five, he's got 100 years worth of wages he's been entrusted with. And it says that the, the one who receives the five talents, he goes and he, he trades it. He says he, he went and traded with them. Now, in our day and age, it's easy for us to think like he went and bought Bitcoin. You know what I mean? Like it's like he got, which by the way, not been as good of an idea lately. Um, all right, so, but he, like we have, we trade on the stock market, right? We, 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 when we think about trading, we think about taking that money and like making like a decision and trade on the stocks and then kind of let it put, or he went, they went and bought, put it in a mutual fund and like just wait till he comes back and then they'll draw it out and give it back. But that's not the language here. The language here speaks of putting it to work, which is more like instead of buying Bitcoin, this is more like he took the five talents and he went and bought uh, uh, equipment and he started like a landscaping company or he started uh, a general contracting company, whatever it might be. He started a printing business, whatever it might be. He went and bought this and then started a way of life that was a constant investment of those resources in such a way that every day was generating profits that would be stored up so when the master returns, I'd present back to him, not just that I made one good financial decision, but I lived a life consistently invested in stewarding what you've given me. And that's the language here. That's what this is really speaking of. That's the challenge. And then it speaks about the second, the third servant, 
So first two do, do what we're, we're to consider good. They take it, the five and the two. They go and they, 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 they buy equipment. They start a business, whatever it is. They start to generate a way of life now that's generating consistent profit of that investment. And then the third one, it says that he, in verse 18, he who received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. He hid his Lord's money. Now, I think sometimes we get tangled up here on the five, two, and one. Um, I, it's, that's why I like thinking about talents as 75 pounds of, of, of treasure for this person. Like, this, is, this isn't like that person, like, okay, here's one coin, like, good luck. Um, but here's what he's, entru- he's entrusted with this, and it says what he did is he hid his Lord's money. Now, um, that's weird for us. Uh, maybe you all got gold buried in your backyard. If you do, chat with me after and give me your address. Um, and don't look out your windows tonight. Um, all right, you probably haven't buried any money recently. You probably haven't. Um, in, in this day, that was a very common thing to guard your money from either being stolen or lost. So there in your property, maybe even in your home, you would dig and bury that which you wanted to make sure was kept from being stolen or lost. So what motivates that is fear, right? You're afraid of it being stolen. You're afraid you're going to lose it, so you bury it. And that's what this man does. It was like the, the ancient version of what we do with the bank, where you put money in, and it's in your checking account or whatever, and you know it's like at the bank. It's not in your house. Nobody's going to steal it from you, and you aren't going to, like, forget what drawer it's in, like, right? So that, the, the way that we would use a bank is how they would use um, burying their money. And so Oftentimes, again, we could think here, and I like to prevent misunderstandings of this parable. We could think, oh, I mean, he doesn't value that treasure. He doesn't value the resource he's been given, clearly, because he's like, he just buries it. He throws it in the dirt. That's not really the point here. The point is not that he undervalues the resource. The point is that he doesn't understand his responsibility. This is not about the servant undervaluing the resource. It's about the servant not understanding his responsibility. So this kind of sets up the context. Rich man, he leaves an enormous treasure that is more than any of these three would ever have seen in their own work. But from his work and his resources, he gives to them this treasury. He leaves and says, I'm coming back someday. Remember, Jesus is teaching with this parable. And then during those days between when he leaves and when he will return, two of them say, hey, I'm going to now reorient my entire life in a way that invests what he's given me so that I can present to him his reward when he returns. And then one who says, I don't want to screw this up, so I'm just going to bury it. And now he returns. And starting in verse 20, we have, um, or starting in verse 19, after a long time, it says, the Lord of these servants came, and he settled accounts with them. So he would receive five talents, came, brought the five others that he'd made. Lord, you gave me five, and here's five more I've gained. His Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, he does the same thing then with the one with two talents. But good and faithful. That word good, it speaks of being useful. Useful in the master's service. You're useful. 
And faithful also could mean trustworthy. See, I entrusted this to you, and you have proven yourself to be trustworthy, to be faithful. You've put it to good use. And as you look at the end of this reward, it says, the, the master just says, hey, so he, I will now give you these, these two things are really your reward, rulership and joy, that I'm giving you back this, this governance. I'm going to give you more, more rulership over my realm, in my realm, and I, I, I bring you into my joy. Now, again, remember, this is a parable not primarily about like the right now, everyday life. It's about when he returns. And, and so if you're one of the people who know the Old Testament narrative, what you're actually hearing is an invitation back to Eden for those who are found faithful. Right? Those who, who here you're seeing in this parable, really an invitation back to Eden. Because in the Garden of Eden... What's happened? They are given dominion in a perfect creation that is all God's kingdom at the time with no sin, no darkness, no, no, nothing but goodness. And they are given reign, dominion under the rulership of the king, and they are living in the midst of the joy of his presence constantly. And here the reward is, it echoes that. And then he turns to the one with one talent and says, Look at look what he says here and see if you remember. Speaking of Genesis, see if anything sounds familiar here. Verse 24, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Hard man. You, I've known you. I knew you to be a hard man. That, word, that means I knew you were harsh. I knew you were rough. I knew you were eager to, to kind of beat people down. I knew that you were stern. I knew you were stingy. This is what I knew you were like, so I did exactly what someone would do if they know what you were like. And look at verse 25. I was afraid, and I hid. That's the Garden of Eden again. From the very beginning of the fall. You walked into the garden, I realized I had failed you, and so I, I was afraid, and I hid. But he says, I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Now, we're all supposed to fear the Lord. We're to walk in the fear of the Lord because he is holy and he is powerful. But this isn't that type of fear being described here. He says, I was afraid. He's speaking of being uh, terrified, seized with alarm, like you want to run away from. See, the fear of the Lord that we're all called to is, makes us, our knees buckle as we bow in submission and trust towards Him. But the fear this one is speaking of is the fear that makes you want to run away from this one because you don't trust Him. You don't trust what He'll do. So He hid it in the ground. And, and here's what we see is that He believes the Master is harsh. He believes His Master is, is hardened rough, angry man, and he acts exactly like he believes that. He did not trust his master because he didn't know him. See, all three of them have the same master, right? Don't they? Right, all three servants, same master. All three servants, the same, really the same opportunity. Two of them 
know what the master is like in such a way that they express it in how they live. They demonstrate their faith in who the master is by living their life and, in, and investing it for his glory and for his good. The third one, though he's given this invitation, this opportunity, he doesn't know the master. And here's the reality. If we don't, if we don't know the master, we will not be faithful servants either. Do you know him? As a favorite quote I, I, I love from an old theologian who said, um, the most important thing about each one of us is what comes to mind when we think about God. What comes to mind when you think about our king? What really comes to mind? And then I'll, I'll add to that. What do you act as though you think about him? What do I act as if I think I believe about him? And we get to the end here, and now is the judgment at the very end. And he says this, the Lord answered him uh, and speaks to this, this third one and says, you're wicked and lazy servant. you wicked and lazy servant. The word wicked, we've heard it a lot in the scriptures. Remember, you, in the Bible, you never want to be called wicked. All right? Wicked speaks about a corruption of nature, a corrupt condition of the heart. That what's happened is that this is kind of demonstrated there's a corruption that's within. There's not a real faith. And you're lazy, sluggish, slothful, unuseful, selfish. And you think about it, like in our own, the, the, what we've been entrusted with, well, what do we do with it? What are we doing with it? Let's think about that more in a moment. And then the, the master makes kind of a statement now, not just to this one servant, but kind of like whoever's around in this parable, kind of this closing statement that says, look, everyone who has, which is speaking about who has from what they've, they've stewarded of what the king has given them and the master's given, they're going to get more and have abundance. But the one who does not have, even what they do have will be taken away. They end up with nothing and they end up separated from the master cast outside of his kingdom into the darkness where there's weeping and suffering. So this judgment at the very end is just, if you've invested your life as though you know and love the master and you understand your responsibility to him, then you will have abundance when he returns. If you don't, you will have nothing. So I want to caution us with a few things this isn't this isn't teaching, this parable. One is, it's not teaching that if you trust in Jesus for salvation, but you just don't do enough good, then you're getting sent to hell. That is not what this is teaching us. It's really not. Because what's that measurement? What's that vertical line we've got to cross? And we know the gospel is, it is finished. Right? So this is not teaching. So don't get tangled up and be leaving here thinking like, have I given enough money? Have I worked hard enough? Have I, have I earned my way to be in the kingdom of God? No, you don't earn your way into the kingdom of God. That's not what this is teaching. That would be anti-gospel. It's also not teaching us that, you know, when you get to heaven, the more rich and talented and intelligent people on earth, they're going to get bigger mansions there too. 
Because uh, a five-talent person, he's better at business style, whatever, and now he's, oh, great. Now his reward's even greater, too. He's always had a good now, and he gets a good then. That's a ripoff. And I'm sitting here having to swim in his pool in heaven. Just kidding. That's not, that's not a thing. All right. It's not teaching that. It's not, that's not the point of this parable. And it's also not teaching us about kind of like the right now life as much. That if you'll just be faithful, you are going to prosper and get more money and more resources. Because this is all about natural resources. It's not teaching that because 2,000 years of church history has shown us that some of the most faithful people in the kingdom of God were martyred. Were, were fired from their jobs, had their homes or churches burned to the ground. Let, let's not screw that up and interpret this through our American lens either, okay? It's not teaching that. But it is teaching about kingdom accountability. That we have a king who's going to come back. We're getting ready. He's going to return. And what Jesus is teaching here is that faith is not just a cognitive belief. Faith, the faith that saves, it's a faith that invests our life. It takes what he's given us and invests it. And kingdom accountability, this point here you'll see on the screen, is, is about priorities, not prosperity. Now, this is a message about priorities, not prosperity. What are you investing in? And I'm not talking about our money. See, there is one treasure that we all have that is exactly the same. Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says um, that we have this treasure in jars of clay. Well, what is a treasure? He says right before that in chapter 4, he says, For God, who said the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, now we have this treasure. So the, the person in here with the least in the bank account and the most in the bank account, guess what? Those bank accounts, they'll be, they aren't going to matter eternally. We've all got the same treasure we've been given. That our master has given us a treasure we could never have gotten ourselves. More than 20 years wages, more than a life of our wages, because our wages are death. He has given us salvation He's given us the knowledge of who He is. He's given us the gospel. He's given us His Spirit. He has given us newness of life. He's given us gifts of the Holy Spirit. He has given us eternal life. And that, that is this treasury we have within us. And if we really believe that, it, what Jesus' point is, it should be demonstrated then by investing our life, by investing that in the world around us. And kingdom investment is about people, not possessions. It's about people, not possessions. And a lot of times, maybe we don't have to talk about this, but we do have to recognize when we're talking about investment, like I just feel like we all think money, 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 money. And even this parable, money, money, money. Um, you don't need any money to invest everything that you've been asked of, that the Lord has asked of you. In fact, even you think about it, when Jesus even sees, remember the offering, and he watches, and the offering's coming by, and the rich are like pouring their coins in, and the woman comes in with just two coins and drops them in, and Jesus says, that's it. Because it's, it's not about possessions. 
It's about people. Does he have my heart? And am I investing in those who have his heart? And we know that because right after this, so this parable comes, and it's like, and you're leaving this parable, and think, okay, what am I supposed to invest in? I want to be good and faithful. So what do I invest in? And Jesus now finishes up this parable and looks at the same group of people and now starts to teach and uses a metaphor of sheep and goats. And I just want to read that passage, and then I'm going to hit you with a, a couple, one more point as we end, and then I promise I'll be in on all right, so he finishes up this parable. He says, hey, this is what it's like. Those who, who steward what they have, invest it in what the master cares about, and then when the master returns, can just present back to him his reward for what he has entrusted to me. Okay, well, what do I invest in? Jesus follows right up and says this in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, the master that returns, when he comes in all his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations, not just the three servants, but all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just like the master does in the parable, the two and the one. He will separate them as well, all the nations, as a shepherd divides his sheep from, his, from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And, and all the listeners of Jesus know what that's saying. is like, come, inherit the, the dominion, the, the, the rulership within the kingdom forever. Come and, and enter into the joy of your king. This is living out the parable. Come and receive what's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when? When did we make this investment that you're so excited about? Like, when did we do this thing that you, you look and you say, that's five more talents. Come on. Let's celebrate and come into my kingdom. Well, when did we do that? And, and Jesus says in verse 40, the king will answer and say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he'll say to those on the left hand, Depart from me. You cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's a whole other sermon. Prepared and prepared. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when? When did we have a treasury that we could have given out of, and we buried it instead of giving it? When? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and didn't minister to you? 45 says, then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It's like the parable in this teaching, and the parable before it is about the, the, the virgins with the, the oil in their lamps, right? 
That faithful anticipation of the coming of the king looks like being prepared. And, and here, faithful anticipation of the coming king looks like investing your life as though he's returning. And what does that look like? Well, if you want to be found faithful, invest your life in serving the king. Take what he has given you and share it with others. Give it to others. Now, you probably won't. Maybe you will. You probably won't have Jesus show up, move in next door to you. Like, he'll be like, hey, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, and uh, just moved to Oviedo. That's probably not going to happen, right? Probably not going to see him at your workplace. You're probably not going to see him at Winn-Dixie or Publix. But those, those who have kingdom vision, they will see him. They will see him move in next door. They will see him waiting on the side of the road with a sign next to Publix. They will see him at work, angry, clearly with something going on in their heart. They will see him. And the question is, will we? Will we see Jesus when we see people? Because the, the, almost the twist of this at the very end, after this parable, is to say, you remember that master who left? He didn't didn't because there was always a way to serve him he's right there in front of you and I, I was thinking about it this, this, this morning that if I believe Jesus is going to return and I believe the gospel is that we who are not worthy and are under the dominion of darkness we've been welcomed into the kingdom of his son the kingdom of life forever why in the world don't I tell anybody except when I'm in a pulpit? Do I? I mean, what am I doing? And I'll, I'll, so you caught me in a good week. This is, by the way, my first sermon in my 40s. I turned 40 on Monday. Yeah, that's right. And speaking of 20th anniversaries, my 20th anniversary with my wife was on Wednesday. Come on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Y'all, listen. Praise the Lord for her and the patience she has. Um, but you know, like, I think, like, when you hit those, those, like, any decade, I think there's, like, this is the first time where I've really, like, taken time to intentionally say, hey, where am I at with my life, and what do I really want my life to be about? And I, I'll say, even as I've been thinking and praying through this this week, I'm tired of, of investing my life in myself. I am tired of it. I am, I'm, I'm fatigued. I'm fatigued of the church investing our life in ourself. And I just want us to be invested in his kingdom. And I want to invest my life in the things, in the people that are the image of my king. That when he returns, listen, I don't, I don't go to sleep ever 
haven't sinned or something and thinking like, oh, I might not go to heaven if I die. I don't, no, I don't do that. That's not, that's not the gospel. I rest well knowing I am secure in him. But when he returns, I want to present to him the people that are his reward. The joy that he had set before him in the cross. And I want him to say, come into my joy with me, good and faithful servant. So I want to pray for us, and then I'll hand it back over to whoever's next. Lord, um, I just, your presence was so strong in worship today, and I'm just so aware of the reality of who you are. Um, Lord, I ask you, it says in John that you, Holy Spirit, come to convict us of sin and of righteousness. So Holy Spirit, right now, convict us. Convict us of that which we, that, the bad investments we are making with that which you've entrusted to us, with our lives, with the life you've given us, with the gospel. And convict us of the right investments we've been not making and that you're calling us to. Lord, I pray that you would just fill this church. You're, you're doing something so beautiful. That you would fill this church, even that you'd fill this church with new people who are coming to know you because this community shares the treasure of the gospel with the world around us. Lord, I pray that we would each walk in such a way that when you return, you would say, well done, good and faithful. Well done, good and faithful. Lord, if anyone's feeling condemnation right now, I pray you'd liberate them from that by the work of the gospel, by the power of your spirit. But I do invite the weight of conviction that for those of us that have been primarily acting as though this life is about building our own kingdom, that we would feel conviction. That for those of us that have taken the treasure of the gospel and have buried it in a hole in our house, that we would dig that up and begin to invest it, sow it into the fields of this world. That we would present you with the reward you desire, which is people. It's people. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us. Thank you for teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen.